1: Is up, Wizards fans! Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Maderno. I'm going to have Osmond Beg of Bulls Forever joining me today. Oz and I are going to talk about the Beal injury, the uh, Kuz conundrum, what to do with him, and should the Wizards be buyers or sellers at the deadline? All that kind of good stuff. Their schedule, uh, how hard it's been versus how easy it's supposed to get. Uh, can they survive this stretch? Because without Beal and and all that kind of good stuff, so we'll get into that in a minute. Just a quick word from one of our sponsors, BetOnline. Basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit make sure to use our promo code belief BLEAV to receive your awards. Bet line where the game starts. Just one other thing before we get to our conversation with Oz, as of right now, if the Wizards' season ended today or the whole NBA season ended today, the wizards would have the 10th best odds in uh, the draft lottery order. So not guaranteeing they have the 10 pick, but odds are somewhere in the, you know, that range, realistically 10, 11, 12, something like that. So I wanted to just start to keep an eye on local prospects coming into town that would be in their general ballpark. I'd like to see these guys in person because I think you get a much better feel for what they're like than just watching, you know, full game tape even. Uh, obviously, highlights should never be what somebody used to decide if they like a prospect or not. In person still I think the best way to get a feel for someone and how they'll really, you know, convey the to the speed and athleticism of the NBA in particular. So I saw Jairus Walker of Houston earlier in the season in person uh, at the Naval Academy. That was cool. Looked the part of a fringe lottery pick to me for sure. The next one that was in town that I had the opportunity to see was Cam Whitmore, the freshman forward from Villanova. They were playing at Georgetown. So I wrote a couple of Bolts Forever posts about this and stuff that, you know, it would have been really nice to see the entire Wizards front office, like front row and center for this one. Maybe they don't like to convey that they think they'll have a lottery pick. I don't know. I was looking at the section where the scouts typically sit uh, during Georgetown games. Saw somebody from the Knicks. I did not see anyone that I recognized from the Wizards scouting department, but doesn't mean that there wasn't, you know, somebody there uh, somewhere in the building, but they certainly weren't in that sort of typical section. Maybe they have their own section because it's, you know, their own building. I don't know, but didn't see anyone noticeable. Didn't see Tommy Shepard walking around or anything like that. Tim Whitmore is a projected top 10 pick. Honestly, a lot of places have him somewhere between like five and eight seems to be his general range, so maybe goes before the Wizards. But he hasn't really been playing like a top five to top eight pick uh, so far this season. He is coming back off of thumb surgery from on a shooting hand. He missed the first couple games of the season and and has been a little slow to form thus far. So, you know, maybe he ends up falling to the later half of the lottery. I I thought it was at least um, a reasonable enough uh, a realistic enough scenario that he could end up in the Wizards range that it was worth checking out he's a six foot seven forward powerfully built, you know, this guy uh, during the FIBA under uh, 18 games was just like power dunking through everybody through the entire tournament. And I, you know, I just want to see what that looked like in person because he looked like, you know, a brick house essentially uh, against international competition. Honestly, little underwhelmed seeing him in person. It's not like Georgetown uh, is, you know, got a bunch of elite defenders or world beaters out there that, that he had to go up against. And, he didn't really stand out from the pack. He finished the game with eight points and seven rebounds. It was four of 11 from the field 0 of two from three. And the most concerning part to me, like the jump shot form is a little weird anyway, but the, the biggest problem is he gets no lift. It's essentially a set shot, like both feet don't leave the ground. And he actually had three jump shots that I saw get blocked outright. Uh, so not a good sign for somebody like him when you're, when you're that athletic that, you know, you're you're not elevating up and, and shooting over people and people at the college level where you've got a six foot four reasonably athletic guy guarding you that he's going to block your jump shot. Uh, that's, that's a bit concerning. I think we see that a little bit with Corey Kispert. Obviously he is a much better shooter than Cam Whitmore anyway, but he does have sort of that low release and doesn't get super high off the ground. And, and we've seen him, you know, need a lot of space to to hit shots at, at a high level, but he still finds a way to get them off. Whitmore was, was really struggling to do that with the exception of like one or two tough um, sort of like fade away jump shots where he actually did elevate and and he made some tough shots. Like you can see a little bit of why, you know, he is impressive to people because not many people that are going to match his like blend of, you know, sort of physical power and athleticism, but yeah, just, it wasn't great. Like, I think some of this is to do with the context. Like, I think that's always really important and you can't just look at like raw numbers. Villanova right now has no real point guard play. Ryan Archdiakono's brother, Chris, is not really a point guard. He seems reluctant to dribble more than like three or four times and kind of has to back people down from half court to get past him. It seems like the guy's a 40% three-point shooter, but is also reluctant to take them. And there's just like a lot of forwards on sort of the Villanova team that all have sort of the same archetype. So it's, they're kind of like occupying the same space. So not a ton of spacing. Georgetown was kind of packing the paint against them. And Whitmore needs space to operate, and that might actually help him more in the NBA, where he's going to have more room. He's not doesn't have the tightest handle right now, so he's not you know beating anybody off the dribble. So if they can kind of hang back off of him, you know, try to like prevent him get from getting by them with a, like a quick first step or dynamic first step, it limits a lot of what he can do in half court, and and they just didn't get out in transition very much. In this game, like Whitmore specifically, he did make like a couple almost steals that were pretty impressive, where he like shot the gap or the passing lane and got a hand on the ball and didn't actually like fully convert, but he broke up the play and, and sort of made the offense reset, which which was still good defensively. But I would have loved to see him like really break one of those and get out in transition, and just never really got the opportunity to do that in this game. So you know, the rebounding was good. There was one rebound, at least where he like skied over everybody. And I'm pretty sure his nose was at like rim level to get it. So the seven rebounds is good to see, but it just wasn't what I was hoping to see from him. You know, it is Ryan me a little bit of, it reminds me a little bit of, of some of these guys where they were such elite athletes in high school that they kind of bulldoze through people. And it's really just going to be about like how much the rest of his skills catch up. Can he tighten the handle? Can he work on the shooting? Can he get some lift on his shot more than anything? I think he can hit wide open threes at a decent enough clip. He's shooting below 30% for the season, but I think a lot of that is just he's not getting, like, very good clean looks for the most part. Uh, Caleb Daniels for Villanova, probably not an NBA player, I wouldn't think. Maybe he could get a two-way from somebody. uh, Hit, you know, a couple of threes in this game that were really big, and maybe four or five of them at least. And uh, he was probably the most impressive player on Villanova. Uh, Brandon Murray for Georgetown. Uh sort of six foot four-ish guard. And uh he's from my neck of the woods here in, in uh you know northern Montgomery County, so it's cool to see. But it was at LSU the last couple of years, threw down like this monster dunk, then made the sports center top ten. He was actually kind of more intriguing to me. Like the rest of his game is sort of hit or miss, and he's not super consistent. He did have like a 30-point game for them a couple weeks ago, but he, he didn't do a whole lot in this one. I think he finished with like eight points also, but it had this monster dunk and you're like, wow, that is an elite NBA athlete. That's a guy I could see catching on with somebody, you know, on a two way or something like that uh, might be kind of an interesting name to keep an eye on. Uh, so again, if I'm the wizards, I, you have a lot of local talent that cycles through here. Like uh, Creighton will be in town later. Yukon plays this Georgetown at some point. Like I would, I would be keeping my eyes peeled for, for these teams that are coming into town that whether they're not your draft picks, they should be guys that are, you're trying to leverage through the, you know, the go-go and the G league team and find your next Jordan Goodwin and people like that. So, you know, hopefully at least the go-go staff, uh, was in attendance or, or one of those kinds of things. But anyway, Cam went more. I'm sure he'll still go in the lottery, you know, all that kind of good stuff, but he's going to have to pick it up at some point here. And And I don't know if this like Villanova team is the team to help him do that, to be honest. Like this is a guy that could really benefit from another year of college, like figuring it out, how to be the man, how to take over games and things like that. And uh, that won't happen, obviously, because why would you pass up being a lottery pick? But it it would serve him pretty well. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, He'll do enough this year that people will look at the highlights, and I'm sure he'll end up being a very good NBA player. He's from Maryland. I always root for guys from Maryland. I'm a shameless homer. I went to Spalding High School it sort of reminded me of former Spalding forward Rudy Gay, just from that sense of just being like a better athlete than a lot of these people, but the rest of the skills, maybe not being there. I saw some people questioning like whether or not he's really six, six or six, seven. Yeah. I mean, he, he looked that size to me in person just standing next to the guys on their teams whose heights I'm I'm a little bit more sure of like Caleb Daniels is probably about six foot four and Whitmore looked noticeably taller than him, uh, you know, in person. So I think the size is legit. The wingspan will be interesting to see that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just, you know, would have liked to see in a little bit more and just one game obviously can't sort of make that whole sample size up, but we'll continue to see how that develops. Uh, with that, let's just take a little mini pause here. And and the next voice you hear uh, joining me will be Osman Beg of Bulls Forever. All right. please welcome in Osman Beg. Oz, how's it going, man? It's going well, buddy. Going well. I'm glad to be on. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about here today. I mean, not good stuff, but a lot to actually talk about, uh, which is sometimes tough by January of wizard season. So at least it's, it's noteworthy to say the least. Uh, the big one is the Beal injury. Yes. Another, the Beal injury. Last time he hurt his right hamstring. Now it's his left hamstring. The team announced that he'll miss the next three games and it'll be reevaluated in a week. Odds are, I think he's going to end up missing more than three games. I think you're on the same page there too, but Again, just for everybody, this is a different hamstring. I know everyone says he re-injured himself coming back too soon. I think he came back too soon and the other leg took the brunt of, you know, the the strain there. I guess, um, where are you at with this Beal thing? Should they just shut him down for like a a certain amount of time at a minimum? Like, I I wouldn't be rushing him back if it were me, I guess.
0: Yeah, I don't think you could rush him back anymore. So he had the first hamstring injury he was shut down for about three games and then he was cleared for basketball activities. And then it took about another three games before he hit the floor. So I think if I, if I recall correctly, he missed a total of six games. Mm -hmm. It was about two weeks, one week out for the injury, one week to get kind of get back in condition. Right. Then he he came back aggravated the other hamstring, like you said, which is probably overcompensation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he only missed, I believe it was, it was three games. And after that, and that was a little surprising, although the it was the other hamstring and it may have been a very – look, I don't have access to MRI. Even if I saw an MRI, I wouldn't know what I'm looking at. They said a light you know? strain. Yeah. I'm actually terrified to ever even go into an MRI machine because of claustrophobic. So yeah, they're rough. Yeah. I can't speak of anything to that effect. But you have one hamstring, you have another. There's got to be some relation. I was a little surprised how quickly he came back, especially given that they had already – look, they've, they already had the split in Milwaukee. Yep. Uh, yes, players were missing. But kind of best case, that was going to be the best case. So why not? And they, they've had two full days off since then. They haven't played since Tuesday. So it would have been a perfect opportunity to give them like three more game, three more days before they played Oklahoma City, but they brought him back for the Milwaukee game, probably getting a little greedy, saying, What if we could just steal both? You know?
1: The optimist in me is saying that Beal said, Hey, we need to take this one. I'm gonna come back. Giannis is coming back. Like, I wanna help us pull now out. The cynic in me is saying. Beal thought, wow, people watch this game because Giannis is playing. Maybe I help my all-star case. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't really mean that for anybody that is a Beale supporter, Beal stan, whatever. I, it is mostly in jest. It's driving me batshit, though. The amount of responses to me tweeting out the injury that are like, oh, uh, Beale's just sitting back and collecting a paycheck. That's another $4 million he gets for not yeah. playing anything. Mm-hmm. Just shut up. Like the guy's clearly not faking it. I mean, it's, what do you want him to do? Like, I I mean, it's not his fault. He's injury prone and they gave him a shit ton of money. You want him to give the money back? Like, that's not how it works.
0: It's um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, and it's also, he's not, when he's on the court, he's playing well.
1: Yeah. It's it's super efficient, at least on the offensive end. Yeah.
0: Super efficient. I think, and everyone has said they don't like the 30 point, a lot of people have said they don't like, like the 30 point high volume, high, like gunner version of Beal. Yeah. Well, you're not getting that. You're
1: getting right. 23 points on. But now he's getting killed because he can't score 30 anymore. Like it's, exactly. if you're it's if like, you
0: he, can't he can't win. Yeah. And I'm not even a Beal. Like, no, I hate fan. watching like, him play, but I feel a little yeah. bad at a
1: certain point. Be reasonable. Like,
0: it's, but there's such an
1: inconsistency
0: out there. He's like averaging 23 when he's on the floor, the offense is clicking the defense yeah. still stinks, but that's, we shouldn't have, that. that, that should never have been expected to improve um the offense is great when he's on it's very good when he's on the floor he's playing very efficient he just can't stay on the floor um and, and that's like i have to actually put a lot of this on the organization and on the medical staff injuries vary in severity so delon wright was out for seven like i think it was maybe almost two months with his hamstring yeah. and i'm sure that was a much more severe hamstring strain right. maybe even a tear who knows um that said, this is your $250 million investment. <laughs> exactly. He's already had two hamstring strains and you still bring him back after just three games. Yep. So at this point, yes, they're saying they're going to wait a week. So you figure minimum they like wait a week, ramp him up, but then you're kind of back to where you were. You you they would look ridiculous if he aggravated either hamstring again. They have to shut him down, I think. It would it would boggle my mind if he's back within like 2 weeks, you know? Like I, I realistically, you, I would I like 3-4 weeks just to make sure that the problems are gone yeah. because like, look, hamstrings, calf injuries, like legs, leg injuries, you don't want it to like keep working its way down and him overcome, say injure something else this early in his, in his contract. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, exactly. They're, they're treating DeLon Wright like the real super max player on the team. <laughs> now granted his the results with him on the court sort of bear that out but maybe <laughs> right. he is. So maybe they realize his value too, but uh, this is tough. I, I think this was, well, somebody from the Bulls Forever account tweeted out that Beals played as well as anyone could have hoped. He's also going to miss at least 18 of the team's first 42 games of the season. Uh, that's rough. I mean, like, yeah. we thought that that might be the case for Porzingis. Uh, Beal coming off the wrist injury. You know, I, this has just been weird. You get COVID again, non-COVID illness. You have hamstrings. Like, I don't know, man. Like, this, this is this is tough. So...
0: He also made a comment, like, you don't really know until you try an explosive move. Yeah. Isn't that part of the ramping up process? You would think
1: so, that there's some amount of checklists that go through that... Yeah.
0: It's like, hey, let's just try, you know, let me try this full 100, yep. you know, speed uh, crossover right now in a game and let me see what happens. Oh, no, nope, there it goes again. know, nope. yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, like range of motion tests, like all kinds of stuff should right. be, should be um, a, like a checklist you have to go through to get cleared again. But I don't know, maybe soft issue, soft tissue injuries are tougher to do that with. I don't know. But anyway,
0: but they're uh, basically treating it. Someone who I, and that tweet that you referenced, I put it out there. Then I mm-hmm. made, made another tweet for my own account. Someone responded to me like they're treating Beale like he's Wolverine and <laughs> he is going to come back stronger at an older age and needs less recovery time as an older age. I can't argue. Well, their approach seems to be like that. They're like, oh, he doesn't need that much time uh, Well, and clearly he does.
1: <laughs> this is a guy that had like stress fracture stuff early in his career and like a lot of lower body injuries. And I think just maturing and getting stronger and all those things, he was able to kind of offset that a little bit. But as you get older and weaker and the injuries mount up. And you start to put stress on other parts of your bodies, like body. I wonder if this is like something that we see kind of start to creep back up again. It, it would yeah. make me very nervous, and would have been something I factored in before giving out, you know, a five-year deal for that much money. But
0: right, and you actually see with other players that it becomes a recurring issue. Like with Devin mm-hmm. Booker, now it's a recurring. Yeah. He had it in the playoffs last year. It's become a recurring issue. Um, yeah. Once, uh, speaking also from personal ex- uh, personal experience, once you get a hamstring injury. It never leaves you. It's just yeah. always there. Right. And it's just like, you just have to manage it. Beal's going to have to manage it. The team's going to have to manage it better.
1: I remember Larry saying last year or two years ago, I guess, with the Westbrook injury, like when it was a quad, he said his son was going through the same thing. And it took him like almost two months of rehab to get like back to baseline. And then it was also like a re-injury risk from there mm-hmm. on out. So it's something that like you almost don't really like shrug off fully. Until the off season, so right. he he should be on a minutes cap. If he does come back before the All Star break, he should be, you know, maybe you don't do back to backs like something. Um, you maybe you can get him on the court without kind of, you know, limiting the toll it it puts yeah. on, on.
0: And you him. actually and Larry was correct. You saw with Westbrook, he the that season everyone was like, why isn't Westbrook dunking? Yeah. And it was like, oh no, what happened? <laughs> what did we get? Uh, did we buy a lemon? And then all of a sudden, two three months later. That explosion was back. So, but like you know, they just they weren't completely transparent with the the nature of his injury, the effect, the impact it had, and kind of let him play play his way through it. Which is just also kind of, if you think about it, and I wasn't really going to go there, but now just thinking out loud, similar issue with Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie had his incentives tied to his contract to play. Clearly, he should not have been playing, but he did at the beginning of last season. Wasn't very effective as he was getting his likes back. So it's, it is interesting how they take a very cautious approach with some players, how some players kind of can force their way onto the floor.
1: I think it's, it's a macho thing for some of these like alpha guys, or at least guys that see themselves that way of like, I I need to get back out here from a perception standpoint. If DeLon Wright doesn't play as much as we like him, like nobody is like tweeting DeLon, Wright, You're stealing from the organization. Right. So like, you know, (laughs) yeah. you can do that and and sort of not take the heat. If you're Beal or Westbrook or even Dinwiddie, it's like you take a lot of shit if you sit and fair or unfair, it's these guys want to play. So they're going to try to come back and and you've got to save them from themselves. Like the Westbrook thing, they were like, Oh, well, you know, he said he was good. So it's like, well, did you say he was good? Because that (laughs) should, that should overrule somebody.
0: And and you also wonder uh, there were, Several reports saying that the Wizards were not going, wanted to evaluate what they have
1: mm-hmm.
0: now that everyone was healthy before the trade deadline. Yeah. So how much did that play into it? How much were they pushing him back because they wanted to see what Beal, Porzingis, Kuzma looked like with Delon and Rui yep. back into the on the second unit as well, and kind of having a full complement of players. So how much did that factor in? Because now, if Beal misses the next two to three weeks they're only going to get maybe five to six games to kind of see them all together. Yeah. Um, if the, everyone else is healthy by the time Beal gets that's back the big question. before the trade deadline.
1: Yeah. And, and I would not rush him back for that. Like you make no. as an informed decision as you can. Maybe he is healthy enough to play five, six games before the all-star break. Like, I, I don't know, but it's, it shouldn't be priority number one to get him on the court just to see how they all gel. Like, if you don't know what your team looks like by end of January, that's a you problem.
0: Yeah. And actually, this is what your team looks like. Your team looks like a team that's going to have injury issues. So what they've seen to date is the team. Like you're not going to have everyone. There's no utopia where everyone's healthy. Right.
1: No, that's a a great point. Uh, So you and I have had this conversation back and forth a little bit. uh, Just sort of let's have the Kuzma convo here for for a little bit here. I've said like I'm a shameless Kuzma apologist on this show. I think everybody who listens to this realizes that at at this point. But I would also trade him tomorrow, and I would send my own parents out in the deal if it made the Wizards a better team. You know, the next day. So I, I like I like the guy, but I'm I'm also willing to do whatever makes sense. But you have to trade this man if you are not at least reasonably convinced you can get him back here for a deal that can actually make sense for you. If, if there's any chance, like any real chance of him walking for nothing, it, he can't stay. It's just yeah. really that simple. As much as I want him to be here. So everyone doing the like, it's fine. Just keep him and then resign him. Like he has to also sign the contract. He has a choice. <laughs> so unless you're going to throw like grossly overpay above somewhere else. And if the reporting is. It could just be, he may want to stay here, but that's that leverage on their campsite saying he wants to be in a bigger market. So that will throw the bag at him again. Like, I don't know, like it could be that he may want to be here. I, who actually knows, but you need to figure that out as an org. And if there's any doubt you need to boot him, this can't be a Burton's thing where you keep him, you lose out on two first round picks and then you sign him to a huge deal. And then he regresses. Like you you can't do that.
0: And I think that's what's sticking out in my mind. So just to kind of clarify my position on Kuzma, I, I, I appreciate Cal Kuzma. I don't have an issue with him as a player. I think he's worked his way. I think he puts a production, not necessarily based completely on talent, but based on motor. Yeah. And it's funny, like you don't, you wouldn't. You wouldn't see him and say, "Oh, there's like consider him like a high motor player." But I think he is
1: because yeah, yeah that's hard to make. He
0: ends up putting up production because he's re- when he's on, he's relentless attacking, relentlessly attacking the basket, yeah. and he's willing to take shots that other players are not willing to take. So as a result, sometimes his offensive rating and sometimes his efficiency does suffer. Now, then you do have nights like like the last game in Milwaukee where he just played bad and made bad decisions. Um, so there's that balance there. And that being said, my biggest issue is this team, in my opinion, two things. One thing that you said, and it's, it's similar to what I read Dallas's approach with Christian Wood is going to be. If they don't have a firm commitment from Christian Wood, they're going to trade it. Um, similarly, if if the best Washington could get is, yeah, from, from Kyle Kuzma's campus, yeah, we'll give you a look. Mm. Um, that's, that's not enough. a firm enough commitment. It has to be a we will you know yes you are our favorite we're going to give you kind of a hometown not a hometown discount but a hometown chance to match yeah um but there's no indication that he's given that and only they would know if he has mm-hmm. but the other issue now like is that you have eight or nine teams that are going to have 30 million in cap space yeah. several of which are west coast teams california teams that one is the his the team that he used to play for so yeah. you have serious contenders like you have young teams that he may be intrigued by such as like an Orlando. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, if you're Kyle Kuzma and you have the ch- chance to play with Banchero and, uh, and Wagner and kind of be the face of the new magic uh, playing in Florida, that's gotta be a little intriguing, right? Yeah. I
1: mean, if you have
0: the chance to go back to play with LeBron, but this time have a bigger role that has or, to be intrigued. Or
1: new York or somebody, I don't know oh, if new they York. have the money, but like, you've got a model girlfriend. I'm sure she doesn't want to be like DC. Is that a modeling hotbed? You know, like that's, yeah, on the so table gotta, to
0: consider like it, it stinks because there's a player that people that that he's a player that fans like, Yeah, but like, that's one factor. And the other factor is like we've, people have continuously said point guard is an issue and it still is sure. like there. When Beal is out, the shot quality goes down because they have a lack of quality point guard play. Yep. So if this is a big quote unquote, big three, your one primary perimeter ball handler can't be a player as injury prone as Beal is. Right. You need a second guy that you need a point guard. So one of, at least in my opinion, one of the big three has to be a point guard. So yeah. uh, Beal's not going anywhere in my opinion. Yeah. So who is the one that can probably get you either a point guard or the assets to get a point guard, probably Kuzma. I mean, yeah. Porzingis, uh, because of his injury history, probably does not have the trade value that matches his production when he is on the floor. And that has to be factored in also. So if Kuzma can be traded for picks that can then in turn be used to get you a point guard or be used to get you or get you a point guard and picks on another player, and you don't have a firm commitment for him, you have to do it. You don't want to get yourselves in another burton situation. And I'm not comparing him to Bretons, but in a case where he's then paid a lot. And then I think someone, uh, a, a friend of ours, Ryan said, uh, or Raleigh said that like, if he is, uh, if. Kuzma goes 10 for 28, making 125 million. The perception or like kind of what that is met with is a lot more negative than it is now.
1: Sure. I, I think I also would not be in a rush to trade him for nothing either. Like it can't be the return right. you got for trading Ish Smith or trading Montrez Harrell. Like you can't get, right. you can't get Ish and Vernon Carey back. Totally like that, agree you just keep him and you roll the dice and and you see how it plays out that year. Uh, if that's the case, if you can get a manual quickly and our first round pick back and some salary, that's a different story. If you can get Austin Reeves and Lakers, 2027 pick and some salary, it's a different story. Like, I don't know what the right deal is, but if you get a young player and a pick, and and have gives you flexibility to especially get your own you know if you get your own pick back and then you can trade first you know future first for a point guard that's now that's intriguing um yeah but but yeah like it, the Bertons one is like the best comp to me because like somebody at the deadline got desperate and the reporting was the celtics would give you two firsts someone at the deadline is going to say shit we need a kuzma or something and and maybe you get a panic trade and you get a little more than you would have otherwise. And and then you do it in a heartbeat. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I don't but know who the team is, but if, if Brooklyn says, you know, Hey, we'll, we'll give you a couple young guys and, and two firsts done. Like I'm doing that shit tomorrow.
0: Yeah. But that's it. I, so for anyone who hasn't listened, you should listen to Matt's, uh, Matt's uh, podcast last week uh, with, with the writer from the, from the Atlanta Hawks and SB Nation from the Hawks website. Sorry, I forgot his name. Yeah, it was actually know. very informative and, and gave you a lot of color on John Collins, who has been kind of a popular topic here since I guess the summer when there was, where there was kind of some yep. rumblings that maybe a Collins trade was in the work works. So that's an example, like that's not an ish, type trade, but I would not do a Co- John Collins type move. Um, mainly because one, And if you listen to the podcast, there's an issue with the finger. Matt, you can send out the picture again and kind of just like freak everyone out. But also like kind of the way it was described in listening to that podcast is is Collins is kind of rim runner, like can space the floor a little bit, would work well with Porzingis. But the way it was described, you would really need a point guard to drive the engine, like to be the engine there. So you can't trade, you can't have Beal, Collins, Porzingis because when Beal does miss, inevitably miss some time who's going to feed Collins and prison offense breaks down together. whole yes. offense will break. Exactly. So that's not the type of deal I would do. But like you said, if you could get Sacramento almost got Kuzma before we got, him. like, if you could get a Davion Mitchell and like a pick or a, a Harrison Barnes that you could then flip to someone else, that's intriguing because then you get a young point guard. Right. If you could do, I don't know if quickly would still be available because frankly he's played himself into maybe being a part of the next future. Right. Um, which is making me very just angry from afar because I really want to quickly over here. But like that would be the type of trade that I would go for. Like, get a young player that you can maybe develop. At, at, and also, like, they always talk about flex, like having uh, contract flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so uh, once they made this trade with LA, that was one of the things they talked about. They talked about it when they even back in the day. But once, once they then turn that trade into the next new contract, all of a sudden, they're pinned up against a luxury tax again. Yeah, right. And everyone signed long term and they're stuck. So they did the same thing with Bretons. They were able to fortunately get their way out of it. Um, that trade with LA could be looked at as a win. But let's just say they do invest in this big three and all of a sudden have like 120 million invested in three players and you're still the sub 500 team. All of a sudden, that flexibility is gone. And you're like, oh my God, how do we get out of the salary? You know? So it's like they always. Start by saying uh, uh, financial flexibility and immediately try to just take it away.
1: <laughs> that money burns a hole in their pocket pretty quick. Yeah. Like we, yep. when you're winning now, I mean, that's this is organization's key focus, obviously, is, is win now. Uh, last sort of just general thing on, on Kuzma here that this is my old man shakes fist at cloud rant for a second here. Uh, you've got a certain subset of people that just say like, he's trash. He went 10 for 28. Ugh, we have to get him out of here. Sell high on him. He's terrible. <laughs> like we need to get rid of him. We should flip him for two first round picks and a young player. Like it, you can't say both things. You either have to think yeah. he sucks and you need to trade him and, you're, and and settle for teams are not stupid and they're not going to give you a lot of assets for a bad player. That should tell you one thing. If, if teams are willing to give up assets for him, they're generally not idiots. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that means he's at least a certain caliber of player. So let's just talk about like the context of Kyle Kuzma for a second. He's not a number two option. You look bad when he has to be the number one option on a team because Porzingis can't create his own shots, whatever it is, matchup wise, like between Giannis and Brooke Lopez guarding him, he wasn't getting particularly the same quality of shot that, that Porzingis also has. So the, we need to force more looks to, to Porzingis. Like, well, he also has to be open and available for that. You're not going to yeah. feed him in the post against Brook Lopez. So, like, how are you, like, what other offense are you running for him? If I'm Milwaukee and I have a smart defensive coach, that's who I'm trying to shut down. And I'm leaving Kuzma open to take a bunch of bad shots. The other thing is, this isn't 2K. Like, guys get tired. So, you now you've said, Kuzma, you have to be on the court 38 minutes. You have to guard Giannis for the majority of those minutes, not the majority, but uh, enough of those minutes. And run the whole offense and take a bunch of shots. Like mm-hmm. he took some dumbass shots. And that's what people do when they're tired. Yeah. Like he's barely sat. Like he missed one or two games with back tightness or whatever. Like that to me was a holy shit, I'm tired from the first game in Milwaukee game. And it's not excusing it. He took bad shots. But at a certain point, it is an NBA skill just to be able to take shots. And, and this is where I disagree with some of our more analytics. Focused friends of like, well, he was on an inefficient. Someone else should have taken those shots. Denny can only take a certain amount of shots per game. He doesn't have the offensive skill set to take 25 shots, or at least 25 reasonable shots. Rui doesn't seem to have the mentality to do it. Kispert can't create any looks for himself. He can't do it. Gafford can't do it. So if you're not force for feeding Porzingis and they can't create any open looks for him, what else are you supposed to do? Like there's a shot clock. Is Kuzma just supposed to like roll the ball back to the defense and run back down the court to protect his, protect his field goal percentage. Like it's just not, there's more nuance to this than the guy was 10 for 28. Again, I'm not excusing like 10, 10 of those shots were awful, Right, but but it's, it's a failure in roster building. It's a failure in coaching. It it isn't just Kuzma sucks. Like again, maybe I'm just being an apologist, but, it's all of the above to me that leads to these issues. And I think good teams see that of like, we're not going to ask him to do that. And, or we're not going to let him do that. Yeah. Now we've got a six ten guy that can create, that can take over for a quarter. If we need him to, that can get hot. You're not asking him to be Kevin Durant, which he clearly can't be.
0: Yeah. So I guess, uh, so I, I totally understand what you're saying. And kind of touching to your first point about people saying oh he stinks let's trade him let's max out on his value i think there's a little obviously there's a little bit of hey social media you're just gonna rant and say what you want sure. so i hope hopefully people don't actually think he he stinks because that would be totally contradictory to say there's hey, this still guy like he's like
1: him. an eighth man stuff like just shut up like he's no. not a number two but he's not a number eight
0: if kyle kuzma is like a like there's a very reasonable, like you could look at op- rosters throughout the league and you would see him, I would say, on contenders, somewhere between the fourth option and maybe like a six-man type option. That's kind of where I think he'd play. Like on a really good deep team, he'd probably be a six-man. I don't think he'd love that. But on most teams, he's probably like your third or fourth I, starter.
1: I, I would push back on that. Yeah, like I, I mean, like the Hawks made uh, an Eastern Conference Finals with John Collins as their second best player. Yeah. I mean, no, no, that's totally fair. Like, totally fair.
0: Like, I can see him there. I, I would say maybe. But my, what I mean by six men is maybe in like, in like your ideal team building. If you have like your microwave really score. right? Like, oh, let's say going back to like, if you were just to go on the Phoenix team that was going that went to the finals, you have Jay Crowder, you have Mikhail, So you have your role players to sure. go along with Aiton Booker and Paul. If I were to put him on that roster, just add him to the roster without taking any of the five starters away, I'd say okay, he is my six man on that team. Yeah, because yeah, that was so that when. Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges come out. Now I have a Ford who could come in who could create his own shot.
1: First guy off the bench is is not the same to me as sixth best player on the on the no, team. Okay,
0: yeah. So that's yeah, that's totally fair. So I was just trying to view it in that like really like role a team, ideal like, role. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. that I that for that type of team where they have two role players in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. I make him like my bench microwave. You go get me twenty. Yeah, let him cook against
1: me. backups and
0: exactly. Yeah. But on most teams, he is. Like, look, if he were to get traded to Sacramento, he's starting. If he's getting traded, he's getting to, like, a, a number of teams throughout the league or signed as a free agent. he, he started goes to Brooklyn, he
1: starts. If he goes to Milwaukee, yeah. he probably starts. He absolutely starts. Like he absolutely starts. You know,
0: Does he get 20 shots? No. no and that's kind and of should. a function of the Wizards roster issues. Over yeah. his last... um, Last 23 games, he's averaging 19.8 field goal attempts per game. And that's just not a sustainable number. Um, it's not, like, ideal for him. It's not ideal for really any team for him to be be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I I, I totally agree with you, like, and especially with the parity that, that exists in the league today. There's going to be teams that say, hey, we this is a 6'9", 6'10", versatile 3'4". If we could get 25 good minutes a game out of 25 to 30 good minutes, awesome. a game he could maybe swing us swing a seven game series where it's like 50 50 to like 55 45 or 60 40 and maybe help us get, get over the hump so that's why he's probably attractive because uh as as a free agent because or as a as a trade candidate because he gives you position versatility and he could be on the floor and we know he can make clutch shots he has now the thing is over here he's just being asked to do too much and I think where I took a little bit issue with his approach to the Milwaukee game, and it's more just approach to the last couple of games, like they like the excuse that well, no one else is gonna do anything so that I have to throw the shot up, that's fine. But it's still shot quality. Like you can't be fadeaways early. He was spotting up like four or five feet behind the three-point line in the first quarter. Get to the three-point line. You don't have to be five feet behind the three-point line. Space out correctly, take shots in rhythm, don't fade away. Also, like looking at the first game in Milwaukee, his shot was also off five for 16, mm-hmm. but he managed
1: 11 assists. Yeah.
0: This he, he game was just
1: better in that game and the shots were better. They just didn't go in. I can live, with, didn't go in. I can live this, with missing good shots.
0: Right. So this game, I think just the 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 approach was just off because you have 28 field goal attempts, you have zero free throw attempts, and you only have two assists to two, turn, two turnovers. So the overall approach, I think, stunk in that game. Agreed. But the approach was better the first game. So even though uh, the first Milwaukee game, even though he shot poorly, the approach was fine. And, like, you could live with the bad shooting and the turnovers because he also got his teammates involved in the offense with something. And he was, like, I think a plus 16 that game. So he didn't have – but, like, you know, the Milwaukee – the second one was just – and that's not the the norm. That was kind of, like, an anomaly. Um, He's had bad games, but that was kind of an extreme for
1: bad games. I wonder if some amount of that is game plan also. In the first game, you know you don't have Beal. Like, yeah. this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to attack them. They don't have Giannis right now in the second game. It's, we think we have Beal going into the game. We know they have Giannis. Here's how we're going to attack them. And now all of a sudden you don't have Beal. Yeah. Cause it, it looked like a total offensive breakdown. And, and again, somebody gets stuck holding the grenade in a yeah. bad offense. Um, again, not excusing like at least 10 of those shots, but it, it's just, To me, this is a function of the team that you've built, where you have so many guys that can't create a look for themselves, for anyone else. Like, we were having a a back and forth in the group chat here a little bit about, like, the Houston offense. I could actually go for a few guys that (laughs) just, like, that That it looks like street ball almost. Like, you need a few dudes that can, you know, beat people off the dribble or break somebody down.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help Kuzma when he passes, when Corey gets the ball, but he's not wide open. So he basically just hands it back to, to Kyle with like five seconds left on the shot clock. That doesn't help that protects Corey Kispert's shooting percentage and makes him look like ultra efficient player, but it doesn't help him in that regard. You know? So now on the other hand, playing a little bit of a, of a devil's advocate, a cynical type role over here, he's not committed to staying by all reports and he may be interested in leaving per reports and he's a free agent and he's well aware he's going to be a free agent as numerous reports and, kind of like numerous reports and interviews he's, he has stated as much how much of this also can you look at it and see, yeah some of it is i would say 80 percent of it is a function of the roster just not being capable of generating or creating their own shots you they brought in a point guard whose best strength is the assist turnover ratio not being able to get to the lane mm-hmm. so yes I, I agree there but how much of it is also him knowing hey i'm this I'm is am gonna get my mine showcase. yeah this is yeah. my showcase yeah it could be uh i'm gonna be a free agent i've seen other players that i think i'm on par with or even better than um get paid substantial money just based on volume so this is i'm not saying like it's time to get mine but it's like it's also there's no one else so why not me and this benefits me in the long run long term also
1: i think most times you see this i would go that route i think Mm -hmm. for him. I would hope he's smart enough. And the people around him are smart enough to know that the teams that are going to trade for him are not looking to see him take 25 shots. So that's not yeah. the right way to feature yourself. Um, I, I wouldn't, I would hope, you know what I mean? From like a basketball yeah. standpoint, it's like, okay, nobody wants to see the undrafted guy at the combine trying to take 25 shots. Cause you'll never do that in an NBA game. Like a good team won't want him to take 28 shots at a game. So hopefully he's smart enough to know that that's,
0: Yeah. And I agree there. I do think, though, there is a part of him that wants to challenge himself. And he is he probably thinks he could reach a level that maybe he has not uh, he has not hit yet. I agree. Yeah, I do think that I think by the way he talks, he thinks there's another level he could hit. Yep, And he could be even a bigger part. I'm not sure that's the case, but some of it is potentially him challenging himself to do more and basically seeing where the chips fall.
1: Yeah. I think Jeremy Grant is the comp, right? Like he could yeah. clearly do more than what Denver let him did. Let him, let him did. He could clearly <laughs> do more than what Denver let him do. Um, but he was not cut out to be the number one or two guy on a Detroit team. And now as like the third-ish guy, maybe even fourth-ish option sometimes on Portland, like he's suddenly really valuable again. Like, Yeah. He's
0: averaging like 23 on great efficiency. Yeah. And I think that's, Maybe that's always kind of been the comp I've had in mind for Kuzma. Yeah. And he's kind of where so Jeremy Grant, it was almost it's it is funny you say this. It was a similar discussion for Jeremy Grant in Detroit because it was a lot of points, but it was on poor efficiency. Yeah. Now the efficiency is better because he is he is in the proper role. Mm-hmm. He is next to a star and he's not like burdened with kind of creating it all himself. So maybe Kuz can be a Jeremy Grant, and if he could get that efficiency up. I'm a little skeptical that he could get the three-point shooting to where he is, Yeah. For but sure. that's kind of the, that's the optimistic, Hey, we should resign Kuzma. We think this is what he could become. That's if that's your, your, your case, if that's where you stand, you're pointing at, at Jeremy Grant as like, you're that, 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 like, sorry, I'm kind of like getting twisted my words over here, but that's your example. That's like what you're pointing towards.
1: Also on the Kuzma three-point shooting, I think I could fix this with him in like 12 minutes because (laughs) there are very few shooters in like NBA history that shoot at a high level that can shoot where they're, they're like totally off balance or their weight distribution is off. Like you've got the Dirk fade away. where like, even when people fade, typically their shoulders are still somewhat above their hips. Yeah. Like the Dirk way crazy leaner, you know, where like he's. Like on his back, you know, back foot, like on his heel more. Okay. Different story. Like, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they're at least close. Kuzma shoots so much with his shoulders so far behind his hips, even on like catch and shoot threes, that it's just like, bro, like when you're squared up, you make stuff. Like, yeah. it even leans back on his free throws. And it's like,
0: well, that's why his free throw percentage is like he's kind of stiff in his legs and he does yep. lean back. And yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. Like, you're, you lean back you're never going to get your kind of the distance on the shot absolutely correct each time and it's always going to be just a little bit off which could be the difference between being a 33% three point shooter and a 37 38% three point shooter because the form is there mm-hmm. but it's just like you have to do yourself that favor you
1: can't make you can't
0: raise the degree of difficulty
1: for yourself well, for no reason you know <laughs> he took one three in the Milwaukee game and there was literally no one within 15 feet of him somehow and he like faded from like a wide open three. And I was just like, what are you doing? And he clanked it off the back of the rim. It's like, yeah, you'll make some, but yeah. Uh, like if you listen to any of the best shooters of all time, like this is JJ Reddick's big thing is about lower body balance mm-hmm. and, and you can be leaning and fading and all this stuff. But like, like it's about where like your hips and your quads and stuff are in relation right. to the rest of your body. And I don't know, it just drives me nuts. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's um keep moving here a little bit. The Wizards, it's been tweeted out, had the third hardest schedule in the NBA thus far, and they now have the easiest remaining schedule. All the stuff we just talked about, wanting to see their team together, you know, that little mini win streak here we've had. And I don't want to dismiss that. They've been better, I think. Like it's not a total fluke, but I'm more and more convinced by the day that this team is going to try to be. Actually, I'm not more convinced by the day. I said this from day one, that this team was guaranteed to be a buyer at the deadline. But after the 11 games, I'm like, okay, maybe the 11 game losing streak or whatever. Like I thought maybe they'd, they'd flip, but I'm I'm like dead set on them trying to buy at the deadline for the most part. Like they might move yeah. Kuzma, but I still think it'll be to make a bigger move to improve for this year. Yes. Uh, so if they trade
0: at? Kuzma, it will be only because as you mentioned, they, they lack confidence that he is going to
1: resign. He's going to have to force their hand basically for that right. to trade him.
0: And if they trade him, my my suspicion would be it would be for someone who could help now. Maybe they get a young player, but it would also be someone who for someone who could help now.
1: Yep. I agree. Uh just sticking with the guys that would likely have to fill the void if they do trade Kuzma with with Denny and Rui. Uh, uh this tweet came out the other day and and team Denny loved this. Um It was five NBA players are shooting greater than 55% on drives with a greater than 12% assist percentage. Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Malik Monk, and Denny Avdia. First of all, the usage is not the same for Denny as it is literally every one of those players, even Malik Monk, but it's good to know like him when he can drive and get downhill, he is a threat to dump it off and create for others and things like that and do it with reasonable efficiency and the way you do that is by being a threat to shoot. Otherwise, no one will respect your drive. So, right, he's been shooting a little bit better again on low volume, but it, it's helped unlock more things for him. And I think that's all any of us have ever really wanted. Rui, over his last five or six games, is averaging almost twenty points a game. Like he's been good uh, and and close to like you know high fifties field goal percentage. Is it just small sample size or? Do you think these guys are actually getting better and showing more of what the players they, they actually can be? I think it's a combination. Um
0: th- they've been criticized for not taking advantage of opportunities in the past. Yeah. Those opportunities have been, I think in Rui's case, he's gotten opportunities, but then he's also missed a ton of time. Sure. In Denny's case, I he has gotten opportunities. He's got a lot of minutes. Now people have argued that he hasn't gotten the right type of minutes for him. Mm-hmm. My counter to that is. You're not going to give a player averaging 7 points and who can't shoot and can not <laughs> go left. You're not going to give him the keys to the yeah. car. Yeah. You're not going to you're not going to give a 12-year-old or like someone on a learner's the keys to a Lamborghini gear, gear when you hard, have yeah. like a professional yeah. driver at the house, you know? Yep. Like it's not going to happen. So, um, I think part of it is Wes figuring out kind of combinations. He's kind of tweaked the lineup several times. Mm-hmm. And I would say I've been a critic of Wes. I think this Gafford Porzingis 5-4 combination has worked better. Agreed. Um, And in doing so, he's put Denny and Rui in positions where they can be successful. I think he's always had Rui in this position. So let's start with Denny. Mm -hmm. Denny's kind of gone back and forth between starting lineup and bench. Uh, Over his last 13 games, he's averaging 10.6 points, 6.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists on 49% uh, from the field and like 33% from three, which is that's pretty good for him, you know, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. yeah, we'll take it. If he could do that and build and keep like sustain that that was 13 games. If he could do that for 25 to 30 games, mm-hmm. then you have something you could build on and then you go into the off season with him and say, Hey, continue to work on your weaknesses. Yeah. And then that role will grow. Yeah. Um, I think that's how you have to approach it with him. I mean, he's still playing a lot of minutes. That's sure. still 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. I think where, the conversation goes sideways with him is like people want him to get kind of have that role right now. But like you said, you can't be a playmaker or a threat if you're, uh, if you're not a threat to score mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Yeah. And right now he's not, he's not a big enough. He's not a threat to attack the left side of the floor. And he's not really a threat to score that much. So he's going to be limited as a playmaker. So he, but this is a good basis for him. But what we've seen in the past is he'll have these 10 game runs and then the next 10 games, he'll shoot 40% from the field and 20% from three. So he can't, he has to avoid that Yeah, agree. because otherwise that just kind of just like, it mean it makes us meaningless. Can't play, can't have uh, like be good. Well, Rod Gardner, they called him 50, 50, cause he caught every other ball. You can't be like that, you
1: know? um that's perfect analogy i think <laughs> like you just got to avoid like the really big cratering of things like yeah you're going to have a stretch where maybe you shoot 30 percent, but it can't be 20 per you know a week or you know like that kind of stuff
0: exactly especially when you're not being even guarded on your three-point attempts right, right. and if you got and if anyone who goes to nba.com look look you kind of the majority of his three-point shots are open to wide open looks yeah.
1: so And you he's still in, that in around 30 percent with them which is which is exactly. crazy
0: Right. Now with Rui, I think Wes has kind of figured out what he is. And I think he figured it out pretty early because he, even though he had by all reports, a strong training camp and a strong preseason, he started him on the bench. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: My hunch is he had a lot of momentum coming out of camp, but then he ended up on the bench and it seemed to kind of throw him off at first. And you also had the starters had really good chemistry bench early on did not like kind of was just working through some things because Wes did the whole, Swap five in for you know five starters out, five bench players in, sure. and with Barton also in the chemistry, it just was, didn't work well. Then I'd say about like after the nine game point, even before the before the injury, really started playing better. So now you've had like a thirteen to fourteen game sample size of him playing really efficient, uh, scoring at an uh, at an efficient rate, putting the basket, and like you've seen him even taking it to a new level since he's come back from the injury, and this could be his role. I mean, there's if I'm thinking about it and I'll ask you this question, why can he be the sixth man scorer that they've been looking for, for a decade?
1: It's, it's a great question. I think the thing that has to keep growing with him is just overall awareness. Like sometimes the offense breaks with him, like Lou Williams doing this and cooking somebody on the side is one thing because mm-hmm at least his head is still sort of up and he's is a threat to pass to a wide open guy. If he draws that much attention with Rui, for the most part, you know, it's going up. And, and I think the head down mentality leads to other guys kind of ball watching sometimes, but yeah, I do think that's been a little better lately. I I don't care what his assist numbers are, but just like, I'm not always going to shoot it. You can't just totally bank on that. Like teams have to at least consider that you can move the ball around and then that makes you an even tougher scorer because people can't help off of you and stuff like that. And, you know, help onto you. I mean,
0: which is fair, but I think to, to kind of play devil's advocate, I think that kind of speaks to your Kuzma point. Who's yeah. going to be the one like DeLon Wright Is a great defensive player. He's not really going to break people off break, yeah. break people down. Oh, I, the agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Corey Kispert coming off the bench is not going to be someone that he, you know, he should make the correct read when it's there. Sure. But if he's if he draws
1: like, two on and somebody helps off Kispert, I just wanted to know that there's at least a reasonable shot that he'll he'll make the, the kick out. Right,
0: which is totally fair. So over his last 14 games, he's averaging 16 points a game um, on 55 56% from the field and 43% from three. Yep. So you want the three-point volume to continue to increase. Yep. But like kind of the the it's funny when you talk about these like six-man scores type, uh, the analytic folks never like them, yep. you know? They always they help like, teams oh, with Jordan, Jordan Clarkson stinks or yeah. Lou Lou Williams stinks. all the, like, they just don't like them. Yeah. They kind of take that similar to your Kuzma argument. They take the role that no one else is really capable of taking yep. because they could hold you afloat while your starters are getting some rest. And yes, the, the overall team efficiency might not be great when on the floor. And but also like what we saw when Rui was out, they weren't getting anything from the bench when he was out. Now they're no, they know that they're going to get, at least 15 from him. And if anyone else is going, they're getting 30 to 40 from the bench
1: on a night. Also off the bench, you're usually playing with more limited players. And sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody just has to get the ball up on the rim. If they have a decent shot at making it great, but a close miss from Rui is probably something that Gafford can rebound, that Tosh can rebound and kick out. Yeah. If it's, you know, like, I I don't know, somebody bad trying to bring somebody down on the (laughs) perimeter is different. I mean, so it's, it's a very different role and you're going to be playing with less help and it's going to hurt your efficiency. And so again, I'm less sort of worried about the percentages for some of this stuff. Like it's great that he is doing it on on reasonable efficiency. It's just, um, you have to be slightly more versatile than just, I'm going to put my head down and and cook you. Yeah.
0: Agreed. And And I think that's because he lacks some of that versatility, I think is why Wes has not given him a chance to start. And he's kind of just put like, put him in this role. I, I think that's, He's given Corey chances. He's given Denny chances. Rui's been, if you were just looking at it based on merit, you'd be like, hey, why isn't Rui getting a chance? But I think Wes Unseld uh, Jr. has identified that, knows that that is not always there. So he's kind of put him in this role. Probably he's like saw a little bit of a different player because the other player, the player that he had before was a little more three-point shot more threes. Mm -hmm. But he coached Michael Porter Jr., who you could argue a lot of the similar things with. Someone who really is just out there to score, head yeah, down, get Rui, a shot up. Rui could be
1: budget MPJ.
0: Right. So I think, and then you kind of tie that into his upcoming contract situation. You have, they brought in Will Barton to kind of be that six man that has not worked out. Yeah. You kind of just, if you're like looking at contracts, you're like, hey, can we slot Rui into some of Will's money? And if he could show that he can maintain this role and play to this level for, and stay, more importantly, stay on the floor for the next 40 games.
1: If people believe the, the availability thing. He's going to get four for sixty or something like that from somebody. I mean, yeah. I, I just somewhere in that ballpark. I mean, that that's what I would imagine somebody. I th-
0: yeah, I think know. that's probably right somewhere there or below. Like, I don't think I don't see him getting more because unless it's from like a tanking team. No, no, no. Like, no. like why that, not? I
1: think that's probably maxing out what he could get right. there.
0: But I think even to be willing to give that, you need him. You need to see him maintain this level of play with only a few very mini slumps. Sure. You can't see like a 10 game slide like we we're talking about with Denny. If he has like two, three bad games in a row, that's fine. That happens yeah. to everyone. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you got to see that, like him maintain this level of consistency and be on the
1: floor for another 40 games. And, and for guys in, in this sort of tier of the NBA, a lot of it is matchup dependent, too. Like, some, yeah. some teams he just might not be able to do anything against, and, and that's going to happen. Uh, right. So, not a big deal. I, and, and someone will respond to this and be like, no, it's good that Rui gets a green light. You're wrong. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying I don't want him to shoot when he gets yeah. good opportunities, but I tweeted this out a few weeks ago. I don't remember what game it was now, but there was an entire game where he didn't pass the ball one single time the entire yeah. game. You, you can't have that.
0: And no. I recall the game you're talking about. I don't remember against who, but he didn't play well. Yeah. And then there was a ne- the next night, he was getting double teamed in the post and he made a cross court pass. Which resulted in a swing around three. Yep. So it's like he didn't get the assist, but that's simple. If but that's he what does you does that exactly. one to two times a game, yep. then he, if you so then it just opens it up for everyone else.
1: Yep. If you're a vacuum, you have to do something with the vacuum you've created. Yeah. Uh okay. So the Hardwood Knox podcast, which I'm a fan of, Dan Favali's been on the show before. I've been on his great dude. Uh they did a mailbag episode uh this week and, and last couple of weeks they've been splitting them up, but the question for them regarding the Wizards was, what would it take for the Wizards to win the East? And his <laughs> co-host, uh, Grant Hughes' response was, they would need a meteor to blow up half of the Eastern Conference and <laughs> a radioactive spider to, to bite Beal, Kuzma, Gafford, and uh, the, a fourth player. And And that's probably the best way that they could try uh, to win the Eastern Conference in, in their I obviously they were being funny, but but not really because that's sort of how unrealistic and how far yeah. away they are from winning the East. But I guess the question is, is it more realistic for to ask Tommy Shepard to find a radioactive spider to like to bite all of his players, or than it is for him to just draft really good players? Because I think that's both seem equally unlikely at this point.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, both seem equally like I would trust him to trade more than I would trust him to draft. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I've liked some of the picks he's made. They're fine. They're, good. they're fine. But he's he's not shooting – he's not like – he's not taking a three-point shot. So you're, you're not a finding of... your third
1: star through the draft. Exactly.
0: Especially where they're drafting, you'd really have to kind of nail a pick. Um, he could do better where he's drafted. Yep. But, like, his impact players have come via trade. That's where his – that's where he's made his dent. So, for kind of that hypothetical that they were – well, let's just be real. Boston and Milwaukee are operating at a different plane and the Nets are looking like they're getting to that
1: plane also. What, what would it take for them to be competitive with those teams? In in that like it maybe at least the next year down, I guess.
0: I think the next year down is where if something were to break right, they could maybe get competitive with the next year. Sure. It really would take it starts with I was gonna say they need like another gaffer type trade, but they need a little bit more. Yeah. But it would help if they were to trade a, a player who's doing nothing to get a player. Who is as, a, as kind of impactful in a limited role as Gafford was? Yep. But I, I really think it's the point guard position. Mm-hmm. They need someone to make things easier for some of their other players. Those,
1: these other guys better. I mean,
0: right? If they were to cast lightning in a lightning in a bottle with with a point guard who's just maybe hasn't been given the opportunity, or if they could just find that player, or even let's look at a more established player. Like their issues with Fred VanVleet in Toronto, and he's having a down season. If you could if Tommy could do his his go-to buy low yeah. without really giving up much and Fred VanVleet finds his game maybe that pushes you into that tier and then obviously on top of that you would need Porzingis to stay healthy you would need Beal to stay to be able to get healthy and you would need the young guys to play good mm-hmm. as role players which is not always easy for young players but that's kind of like what he needs to get they need to catch lightning in a bottle and Tommy needs to and Tommy needs to basically find his next Porzingis trade.
1: I think you mentioned this before with what uh West going to this bigger lineup. And just some of these are slightly outdated at this point, but just from middle of December to the end of December, the team was fourth in offensive rating with the big lineup, second mm-hmm. in defensive rating, third in net rating. They were like around 20-ish in three-point shooting. And uh, near the top in f- overall field goal percentage, and and top three in blocks per game. So mm-hmm. like, they did well going big. That that's clearly the recipe. It's unlocked Gafford. It's made Porzingis' life easier. I think we're not seeing those games where Porzingis sh- shoots like one of ten from three right. the same way. Granted, he's not shooting an unreal percentage over that for per- you know that stretch of time, but it it's it's at least better. The shot diet is better. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is one of those things where like they probably need to add some more three-point shooting from some of these guys. So can you still play big and have your defensive lineup, but also just, I don't even care about the volume as much going up as it is just the percentage has to be better. If you play big and attract defense guys have to hit open shots. And, and so, yeah, you you need a couple dudes that, that can do that, where you don't kill your defense by playing them, but they're also going to be more of a threat and they keep you know, opening things up for you in the paint In that Milwaukee game, they locked Milwaukee out of the paint and they scored and dominated in the paint. Like that's what this team will now have to do. And, and you got to play, you got to zig when people zag, I think if you're this kind of team, I think so. Now the other teams start to figure that out. And then once they have a game plan and they've scouted this and seen it enough times, does it fall apart? I don't know. But, but I do think that is the recipe. So you should be looking at how to build your team out to maximize sort of that formula. And to that extent, kind
0: of just looking at the player that I just mentioned, like a Fred Van Lee, just yeah. as an example. So our current starting point guard, Monte Morris, I believe shoots about three. Sorry, I'm looking it up right now. I apologize. I had it up, but it just closed on me.
1: Like three uh, a game.
0: He shoots 3.4, three point attempts per game. Yeah. So when everyone talks about how efficient he is, okay, that's cool. Just such low volume. Yeah. Such low volume teams don't really care if he makes one point three, three point three pointers a game. Fred Van Vliet, for example, even in a down season, he is shooting 8.7, three point attempts a game. Yeah. Last season, kind of the last season he was, he was at 10. (coughs) So to your point, (coughs) if you add a player like that, who is a Tommy type by low, someone who could just add that much volume, then you have that variance. Like, does he get hot? Mm -hmm. And if he gets hot for 40 games, things could, you know, that's how things can change. And then it's really, it comes down to like, you know, like you said, the, the top of the conference is, is elite. I think, I don't think there's any way to, 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 to compete with Milwaukee, to compete with Boston, but can you give, and look, I'm not, I'm not advocating for like going all in and like <laughs> everyone who's listening to me knows that I prefer to just kind of to tank and just get a, get as good a lottery pick as possible. But would I be fearful if I had a, a better point guard option or like another three, uh, a, a small forward who could shoot a high volume of three point attempts? Would I be fearful of the Cavaliers or would I be fear, fearful of the Philadelphia 76ers who we've be beaten twice yeah. or the Pacers who are the seventh seed? No, I wouldn't be. I think those teams would be beatable on a given night or on in a given series if they add that variance. And if they were healthy. Now, I'm sure that's how Tommy Shepard justifies kind of keeping staying the course. He's like, oh, if it ever comes together and if I could get that one piece, it could work. So you could see some of the logic there, mm. but you got to actually do it, you know.
1: <laughs> to your point about, about Fred, I don't know what his percentage this year is compared to Monte's. But, but it, it, the volume is the important part. Like I got right. a lot of tweets about, well, Denny's shooting 40% from three over this four-game stretch, so eat your words. Well, I, I want him to shoot a good percentage, but it's about how defenses guard you right. and, and what you can do for your teammates. Do you actually create that space? People are going to put more defensive emphasis on Fred Van Fleet. Than they are Monte Morris, even though Monte shoots a better percentage, he's still only going to take three threes. Fred taking yeah. nine of them, if he only makes three of them, it's still more impactful than Monte only making one. Like it's it's just sort of apples to oranges at a certain point when the volume is so much different.
0: Right, and actually, to, and he had he has shot like thirty seven percent or above the, the past few seasons. Yeah. So this is kind of the outlier. Yep. So this is kind of like the the Tommy Shepard type target. And he would sell it if we could get him back to where he normally is. Then all of a sudden you're adding, you're subtracting 1.3, three point attempt made three point shots made from Monte Morris, or you're even sliding into the bench. And then you're adding in Fred Van Bleet, who's making close to one hot streak and he's making four to five threes a game, you know?
1: And that's all of a sudden teams defend you that way. As if you're the guy from the last seven years. Exactly. And if teams defend you
0: that way, then all of a sudden it opens things up for Kuzma. It opens things up for Porzingis. It opens like, you know, it um once they start closing a hard, hard on the three point line, that's when you could attack the closeout and you have a lob threat and Gafford. So the pieces could work together, but they just have to. I think the idea of Monte Morris and all the efficiency metrics and like how good he is percentage wise didn't really match with the team because he can't really maximize what they do or but he is, like we said, a solid backup point guard. But he's not, he doesn't provide the variance that they need to really dent that second tier behind Milwaukee and Boston.
1: That's great off the bench. The high efficiency, I won't lose you the game kind of guy. Right. And can he be a spot starter? That's great. It's just he won't make anyone better. And and Beal doesn't really do that either. Porzingis yeah. doesn't really do that either. Like that, that's sort of the issue. I do think for all his flaws, like, Kuzma can somewhat make other people better in the right situation. So, you yes. know, like if he stays
0: focused, if he's stays- that, that's,
1: that's right. <laughs> it's, it's limited. It's not what you want from a, like a real star player, but you, you can't have Kuzma be the only guy on your team. Like if he's the only one that's improving the people around him, you're in a lot of trouble. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So their next four games they play. Friday night, tonight, while we're recording this, against the Thunder at 8 p.m. The Pelicans on Monday at 7 p.m. The Bulls, who have won six of their last 10, so maybe they're looking a little better, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. And the Knicks Friday at 7 p.m. If uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you had to guess, they're probably without Beal for all four of those. What's their record coming out of those four games?
0: I think the, uh, the Knicks game is in New York?
1: Yes. That sounds right.
0: But the other two, the two in the middle are at home, correct?
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah, they, they play the Thunder in Oklahoma City because we played them very
0: long. I want to say one and three. That, that seems more two realistic.
1: Two? two and two is sort of what I was personally like. If you get out of this stretch two and two, I'd feel pretty good about it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, because New Orleans, even without Zion, is, is a tough team. Yep. Um, they're, they're just a good team, so that's going to be a battle. Uh, Chicago is always with DeRozan is always tough against us. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be, you know, that's, that's a tough, even with Beal, we had, we came down to the wire to beat them to open the season. And then we lost over there. The Knicks are going to be much more difficult than I think people, you know, people think, I mean, they're playing well. Brunson has turned out to be, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. A lot of discussion about Brunson was like, uh, is he ideally suited to be a starter or a six man? And he is, I think more than proving that he should be a starter in the league and had his career high yesterday. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough stretch. It's a weird, it's weird because it's a tough stretch without playing like dominant teams, but they're all tough teams that are playing pretty well now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it would be really good if they could pull for them, if they could pull off the Oklahoma city game tonight, mm-hmm. if they don't pull this one off, then you're looking at hopefully one in three and over this four game stretch that could, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to be a difficult one. But like that's what you said. We we they have these stretches, then they pull off like a win with against Dallas, where Porzingis and Beal is out. Sure. So I expect them to at least get one.
1: And and for all the people that are saying right now, oh Beal's out, they'll go four and zero. Like every team, it's the whole Ewing factor, Ewing theory team. Mm-hmm. Like teams will rise above and and can do that for short stints where they play better, air quotes, without their best player, but. It's hard to sustain that because guys are now shifting up into roles for longer term than they're they're suited to do that. So no matter what you think about Beal, him not being here makes this a tougher stretch. Like we shouldn't have to say that about our supermax player, but like it it is it is the case. Like they will miss efficient scoring of 24 points per game or whatever over that four-game stretch.
0: Right. Because in his place, Corey Kispert off the bench is going to give you 10 points on good okay. shooting. Corey Kispert in a bigger role with Beal's out, Beal out playing 40 minutes is going to give you the same 10 points. Yeah,
1: maybe 12. If you get yeah, maybe 12. Right.
0: So yes, you, they absolutely miss him. And I think we saw that over that big stretch, that big losing streak. That's over time. It, it, it does. Up. It just stresses yeah. the team.
1: Yep. Yeah. You can cobble it together for a couple of nights or even like a road trip, but it, it, it gets tough. Right. Uh, last thing, I just want to throw a shout out to HoopdeDo on Twitter, aka Wizards Trash Talker, for giving us this podcast a shout out on the Saturday Slam and Jam on the Athletic NBA pod. It was their Josh Robbins episode. So, uh, Hoopty Doo, thanks for that. Appreciate you. Um, everybody, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, before we get out of here, Oz, any parting thoughts, shots, anything uh, we should mention for folks?
0: Parting shots? Uh, parting shots. I have a couple just random basketball thoughts. I am a Hoyas fan and I, mm. just, I you know, it's a Hoyas fan. Sorry to hear that. I know it's just not even watchable. You know, I, I, I don't know what they're, they have to do something about Patrick Ewing. I don't know what it is on the wizards, uh, kind of circling back to the wizards. Uh, this is kind of the fun time free trade deadline to a degree because yep. you'll, you know, how this stretch goes over the next Next 10 to 15 games.
1: That Noah Vonleh barn burner trade that happened the other day. I know, day. <laughs> like
0: things have started to move. I would think, at minimum, there are a couple players, there will be some moves. uh I would be hard pressed to see Will Barton on the team after the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I think almost maybe even as a favor to him. He's yeah, a free agreed. agent. I don't think that, like, sitting, having DNPs is not doing him any favors. Agreed. And, you know, so I think. Some in some way or shape or fashion, he's going to be all. I, I would be surprised if he's on the team. And, and shout out to him, Carey, by the man.
1: way, just on, on Will for not being a pain in the ass about it. He still says okay. the right things, still good vibes. I, I that's not imagine a trivial if Montrezl
0: Harrell was, was in the same situation,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly, yeah. yeah, it would be a mess. Um, one player that I think is not uh, also would think is not going to be here, but I might like, I'm going to actually ask you about this. Vernon Carey seems to be dominating the G league in terms of just like mm-hmm. just putting up buckets. I don't know if it's actually domination or anything that can translate, but if they're not giving him a shot now, I don't think they are ever going to give him a shot, right. nor do I think they necessarily should be giving him a shot because I don't know how much of it is translatable. So at some point, why is he here? Just let him go to a young team that he might get some minutes on. Right.
1: Yeah. It, it's a scalability thing, right? Like even Jaime Eshinike is like, Oh, he had great numbers. in, in for the go, go last year, it's like, but he can never play for the Wizards because he's a big, slow drop coverage big that can't shoot beyond eight feet. And people aren't going to give him 10 jump hooks a game. Vernon Carey is, has gotten better. He's more mobile. The shooting is better. He runs the floor harder. Uh, but it's still, you know, you're like six nine or whatever, maybe 6'10 mm-hmm. on a good day. Now that you're slim, you're not a change of pace big for us. Like, I, I just... You know, it's always going to be one of those things where he's like a 10th man kind of thing. And if you need a roster spot for somebody like Goodwin longer term, can you do that? And could you get rid of Carry, cut him from his contract and then sign him back to a two-way and get rid of Dotson off a two-way? Like, I don't know what salary cap implications of something like that are. Is if is Carry just traded away at the deadline as like a throw in? Maybe some team would take him just, just to see, I don't know. So it's, I appreciate what he's doing for the go-go. I just don't see a world where like him playing meaningful minutes helps the wizards in any way.
0: Right. And in keeping up with the go-go a little more than I used to, it still makes no sense to me why Isaiah Todd and Johnny Davis, when they do play for the go-go are kind of de-emphasized for players like Vernon Carey. These are your, like the first pick of the second round last year and the 10th pick in this draft. And
1: they have to play basically second fiddle on the team's G League
0: team. Makes no sense to me, but that's that's for another day. You so, know? so
1: that's a, that's a great point though. I, I want to stay on that for one second because okay. somebody said something to me the other day about like, hey, Todd, how come he only had 14 points in a G League game? At least Vernon Carey's dominated. This is the conversation about how it translates. Yeah. Vernon Carey could not do what he's doing for the go-go for an NBA team. I still think Todd could do for the Wizards almost exactly the same role he plays for the go-go he's switchable he runs the floor hard as shit and he'll he'll hit wide open threes and he's a threat to finish plays in transition like that that to me is something you would want to see him do on an nba roster it's wild he can't get any minutes whatsoever which maybe it means he's a knucklehead or just, i i don't i don't know what it is but you, you, you gotta find five to only, ten minutes here
0: i i don't think it's only that because I think their approach, and they've said this, it's been reported like they want them to play the roles that they would play for the NBA team on the go-go. Yeah. But the thing is, like we've seen, even during the injuries, that role is not going to be available to them. While the team was like decimated by injuries, yeah, never Todd and it. Davis still never got those opportunities. right? So why not give them more minutes? Let them get as much experience as possible because it's really all setting up for next season,
1: not this season. It, it used to be, we looked at Anthony Gill last year, it's like, well, he never hurts you. Well, he's been bad this year. He can't mm-hmm. hit wide open shots. The defense is, eh. you know, he can't guard wings. He's too small to guard bigs. And everything he does on offense is literally just hold the ball for a dribble handoff to somebody like, so it's not helping you. I do think it actually hurts you because no one has to guard him at this point. So like, even if Todd went out there and dribbled off his foot at some point, like you'll, see, you'll still see him do something dumb every game where he tries to go coast to coast and turns the ball over because he throws it in the 10th row. Like, there's one of those per game where you're like, it's a Shaq in a full moment. Yeah. But those players, when they're still talented, eventually turn into something. Todd will be a good, productive NBA rotation player somewhere, whether it'll be here or not. I don't know. Probably not at this rate. But, like, let him try. I, I I just don't understand where we can't. Even a game the other night where we were up 25 points, like, you couldn't get Todd a minute. Like, it's bullshit. Right.
0: And that's where I kind of, when when the pushback is, well, the young guys have been given the opportunity. I look at a team like Detroit, where a Sadiq Bey has been unequivocally just awful this year. Yeah. Right? But he just plays and he just gets minutes. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the right way because it's now year three, you've given Bay a ton of minutes and you have no idea if he's a good player. He yeah. doesn't look like a good player right now. Yeah. Um, but the Wizards are a fall playoff team in their minds. They think they're a playoff team. So they have not, they, the play young players get minutes. Some young players get minutes. Mm -hmm. Some don't. And we also don't know what we necessarily have. So I don't know if the Detroit it's, it's probably somewhere in the middle, which is the correct path because the Detroit model, yes, Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey are going to be part of the future. We have no idea if Sadiq Bay is going to be part of the future. Killian Hayes is putting up nice counting stats, but if you actually look at the the shooting and all that, it's like, yes, he's, he's doing Andre Bloch type things, you know, like where he's getting like 18 shots shooting like 38% from the field. Like that's not, that's not real. So, so their path might not be the right one, but ours also doesn't seem like the right one. So I don't know what is, or maybe they both teams just drafted a lot of bad players,
1: you know? <laughs> uh Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't know. The, the, there's got to be more of a sweet spot than zero minutes. That's all right. I totally agree there. Totally agree there. Oz, thank you as always for the time, folks. You can find uh, his content on Bolts Forever uh, as well, and and this podcast obviously. So we'll we'll keep turning out some good stuff as we get closer to the trade deadline. I think we'll have more and more to talk about here. So uh, stay tuned for that. Again, as always, rate review. Uh, really. As always, rate review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're presented by BetOnline.ag, and we will catch you next time.